Hello and welcome back. This is the Trippin' Podcast. In today's episode, we sit down with Phoebe Lovett, journalist, author and founder of the WW Club. As the daughter of two nomadic writers, being a writer and world traveller herself must come as no surprise. Born and raised in London, Phoebe spent much of her teenage years visiting her parents between Paris and Miami. And for most of her 20s, she's been living in the US, both in LA and then New York. I went around to Phoebe's apartment to talk about the concept of home and belonging. Sometimes a life on the go isn't as glamorous as it seems on the outside. And Phoebe shares her advice on staying present as you move through the world, how to manage your expectations, and the importance of finding community wherever you are. I'm Yasmin, your host, and this is the Trippin Podcast. This is the Tripping Podcast, and I'm sat here with good friend and someone that I've been really keen to chat to about the subject of travel for some time. Her name is Phoebe Lovett. Uh, she's a writer, editor, author. Well, it's hard to know how to describe you because I feel like you're a woman of many talents. Oh, um, of course, you've written books, you've founded companies, you uh, moderate talks, and I mean, most recently, what I'm really feeling is your newsletters which, um, I mean, I'm subscribed to about, I don't know, 20, 30 newsletters, 97% of which go straight to trash mm-hmm. as soon as they come in. But I really look forward to yours, and I feel like you always, um, you're kind of hitting on these like universal themes, but from a really personal perspective, and the references that you pull and stuff, I find it super interesting. Thanks, so, Yasmin. You're welcome. Really enjoying good to, this. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> So Phoebe, she's written for all your favorite publications, ID, Dazed, L, GQ, uh, Courier magazine, big up Courier because they've been mm. tripping on the front cover. They so put you on the cover, that. yes, they did. Yeah, they did. Um, and you were born and raised in London. Yeah. Uh, but there's been a few places that you've called home. So yeah. talk, us through, talk us through some of those places. Well, yeah, I was born in Mile End in East London. Um, in a hospital, I think is actually called the London Hospital, which I believe has since been demolished, <laughs> or at least the wing I was born in has, sadly. Um, and I grew up right in the middle of London, actually, in kind of Holborn, Russell Square, which if you put a pin on a map of London right in the middle is pretty much it. Wow. Postcode WC1, which is West Central one, for anyone who's not Boy, familiar <laughs> with London zoning. Um, and then <clears throat> lived there until I was 24. And when I was 24, I moved to Los Angeles. And then I lived there for four years. And then I moved to New York at the end of 2015. Wow, so you've been around, you've been around. Mm. And what do you, how of those places would you say, because they're all quite different. I mean, London and New York, I guess, mm. has a strong kind of city similarity. LA, different lifestyle, but mm. I mean, you spent considerable amounts of time in each of those places. Mm. And how would you feel that they've kind of molded you and or inspired you or to I mean, Phoebe sat here today? You know, I can talk a lot generally and I could talk about that for four hours if you wanted me to. And I'd say if there's one conversation I've had most frequently over the last seven years, which is how long I've been living in the US, it has been this kind of London versus LA versus New York 
I try not to approach it from a, like an obnoxious, which one is better? Yeah. You know, like people are like, which do you prefer? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is like, it, I mean, first of all, I think that's kind of like a reductive question. Um, but, and also it just makes me feel gross. And like, obviously I'm very privileged to be able to have the freedom to live my life like that. That said, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think even more than the places that I've lived, I think the experience of moving, um, I think particularly moving to LA when I was 24 and that was seven years ago and LA has changed hugely in that time. It was just starting to really, really change when I moved there and that was one of the reasons I did move there. But it was still like, when I moved to LA, there was no Uber. I mean, can you, like for a driving city, actually Uber came in about two, a year and a half after I lived there and it really changed the city and I really think you know, there's obviously various things that have made LA become this global, you know, city and destination that it is now, which it wasn't really when I moved there in the same way. And Uber is definitely one of them. Um, so when I moved there, it felt a lot more alien and um, inaccessible or hard to penetrate than it feels now to me. And did you have like a kind of community there or no. you were just kind of lone? Yeah. Ranger? I mean that obviously was a massive part of it not so much just that the city was harder to navigate but that like I'd been there once before. Oh wow. And I didn't know anyone. I had one friend who's still my good friend, shout out Camille, another amazing traveller who you should maybe one day speak to. She really has seen we the world. We love a recommendation. She really, everything. Camille's really seen the world. Um, but she had, I'd met her maybe two times before I moved there she'd been in London for the summer working and I went there and she very kindly like um, you know was willing to hang out with me a bit but also like you know is a little older than me and had grown up in LA so very much had her own life going on (laughs) couldn't just hold my hand the whole time and other than that I really didn't really know anyone and and now it's funny when I go to LA because like half the bloody western world seems to have moved there you know dozens of people I know from New York have moved there people even from London people from Paris and it feels very international in a way that well how was it like for you when you were just there kind of on your own and you're like on the other side of the world from where you know I've been calling home I'm on my own. I mean, for a writer, is that kind of alone and introspective time? It was really, really intense. And I I mean, obviously, I did it willingly, of course, and I I did it, you know, I think people were like, well, why are you doing that? I mean, partly because I'd been fortunate enough, I got a green card through my dad who had emigrated to the US when I was 17 and I managed to get a green card through his green card. And so I I wanted to have it and I wanted to use it. And you know at the time I was living in London and New York was a far more obvious place for me to move um I was working for the Soho House group and I you know maybe would have been able to transfer my job to New York at the time they weren't they there wasn't a possibility to do it in LA and so there was real that what I'm trying to say is there was no real reason for me to live in LA um which obviously made my experience of being there even more disorienting. I wasn't going there for a job, I wasn't going there for a man, I wasn't going there even because I was obsessed with the lifestyle. I was going there because I felt that it was... I felt that moving to New York was just, like, pointless in a way, you know? I was like, if I'm going to leave London, I might as well just go for it. And and which has, you know, been a, a theme of my life, of, like, sort of borderline masochistic... 
challenges to self but well, that's I was, my next question was going to be like do you do that often You're yeah like, mm, here's two choices this one's easier i'll go for the harder one. always i mean i've realized now you know at the age of 31 that it's a pathological thing um but at the time i was just like oh yeah um and i did the same thing with new york just as la was starting to feel comfortable and things were taking off and my business was going well i was like you know what no like i should go and live in new york now and um because I I need to learn. I think for me, like places, I've, I kind of see them as like, I feel like when I'm called to somewhere, whether it's to live or to just to visit, it, it's usually because I, I feel like I need to learn something that only that place can teach me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with New York, with LA, it was very much... I mean, I think there's like a, a, a mythology around California and LA, which is real which is that it's it's still kind of like the wild west in a way and it feels you know you meet a lot of people in LA who are on some sort of self-discovery mission to varying levels of success (laughs) and you know some people just disappear into like a drug hole and some people become famous and some people you know so LA California and LA in particular is like a very mystical spiritual place and I, I think I mean that you can look into the history of that and why that's evolved there but I I really do think it's a place for like people who are seeking something and I think for me at that point in my life you know I was seeking trying to establish my adult identity mm-hmm. growing up in London was incredible and like very formative for me but I think by the time I was sort of 23, 24, I'd like met a lot of people and been out on the scene for a long time and knew this city very well. And again, things were going very well. I had a good job, a nice flat, lots of great friends, a nice boyfriend. But I was like, no, I need to like push this further. And I can't do it here because... Well, you're restricted sometimes when you're around everyone that knows you and they're like, mm. that's Phoebe, yes. that's the way she is. Yes. And you kind of get locked into that character mode and that was a hundred percent it that was a hundred percent it like I felt like I had this kind of persona and identity in London that I could feel that I was ready to outgrow Mm -hmm. and I just couldn't feel a way to do it there and obviously again I was immensely privileged and had this incredible situation where I had this green card I'd been working as a freelance journalist since I was like 17 as well as being at university and um, and then the other thing was actually really practical was that LA then, it's gone so expensive now, but it was a lot cheaper than New York mm-hmm. and I didn't want to, I knew that if I moved to New York I'd have, you know, I'd have to get a like an adult proper serious job and I really wanted to write and like kind of explore that. And, and I thought LA would be more financially viable place to do it. And it was because, mm-hmm. when, again, when I moved there, I mean, it's, it's, it's astronomical how much more expensive it's come in the last five years. But when I moved there, it was still a much more affordable city mm-hmm. than New York. Now it's actually not far off on par. And that's where you founded WW Club. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And, and that very so what was the kind of motivations behind that? Was it the kind of crew you were running with, where your head was at at the time? Um that wanting to start something or like kind of I think it was a combination of all those factors you know originally the WW club was um it was a con this is it was a concept it was a community concept for women working in creative industries at a time when there was actually very little kind of in that space which again seems crazy to say even though it was only uh, five 
four or near coming up five years ago that I started doing it and obviously kind of women focused professional platforms for want of a better phrase <laughs> have exploded in, since then but at the time it was still it felt very underdeveloped to me and yeah I had come from being part of this really amazing crew of women in London who are still my friends and moved to LA and like was really struggling to find my people and feeling really lonely and like sitting at home and not you know again even then it sounds mad just like talking about the dark ages but like it was there weren't even so many I know but it's like how can this only be five six years ago but like there was only a handful of coffee shops where you could go and like maybe see other freelance you know LA was or at least the parts that I was in I don't know I just, I just couldn't find people that you can't swing a cat in a coffee shop these days so yeah exactly exactly but in LA I think then because it was more of an ent- you know there was the entertainment industry was still kind of the one of the key employers of the city which it still is but now there's all these people who've come from different parts of the oh, world yeah. in the past in the past like five years like you said the kind of rise in the yeah. the digital nomad yeah, and like exactly. the, being uh, being able to work from anywhere yeah um, I mean, obviously, as a journalist, that's something that has been probably very handy for you when you, with your travels and being on the move. Yeah, I mean, I think if there was, if you like, I didn't become a journalist or a writer primarily because I loved to write. <laughs> I actually. <laughs> Where did it come from? Well, I mean, both my parents write, and mm-hmm. and like talking and writing has always been you know, something that, uh, writing is something I've always done, and, and I loved magazines, and, but it wasn't so much that I was like, oh, I have to write, there's nothing else I can do. I think a, a large part of the reason I chose to pursue writing is because I could see that it would give me freedom to travel. Mm-hmm. You know, both my parents, my dad has lived in five cities by the time I was 21. My mum currently lives between two different cities, or Wales and, and Spain. So I like saw from an early age that you know okay you're gonna make shit money and you're gonna have to really like hustle and you know but if you want freedom and that's important to you and specifically freedom to travel which was very important to both my parents because they are both also very nomadic people writing is like one of the few professions in the world then Mm -hmm. now like you say most jobs have can be remote Mm -hmm. but um it's like the OG <laughs> nomad's job because <laughs> it's like one of the few jobs that you really just, you know, even back in the day, writers would just like go places to write or, you know, send, I don't know, be dispatched somewhere. Or It was always very much something that worked in tandem with like needing mobility and freedom, for me at least. So you're so you come from a family of travel enthusiasts. Hundred percent. I mean, do you remember kind of as a kid, your first trips and how that kind of opened? Yeah, I mean, travel was just such a massive part of my childhood. Neither of my parents really ever made a lot of money. Sorry, mum and dad, no offence, but it's real. <laughs> um, but they would always spend all their money on travelling. Like you know, that that was just what they did. Like. And my mum actually, for a period of my childhood, was actually a travel journalist for, like, a women's magazine. So I would travel with her sometimes on her, you know, work trips. My dad moved to Paris when I was seven and then later lived in uh, Miami. And so I would go and visit him, you know, like, 
going going to Paris when I was like 10, 11 on my own. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And well, that'll, that'll give you the independence for traveling as an adult, I guess. Yeah. I mean, when I first started doing it, I think the Eurostar had not, it was still being built. Oh my God, I'm making myself sound like a dinosaur. <laughs> Before laptops and the Eurostar. <laughs> but it's true. It was being completed. And then, so my, I used to do that. Like, you know, you see them little kids like getting on the plane with the air hostess. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that. But then the minute the yeah, Eurostar. I always used to see those kids and be like, wow, that is so cool. You get mm, into it. It's go, weird. Yeah, I'm sure it's weird it is being a bit that weird, kid. But, yeah, I'm sure. But from the outside, you're just like, wow. But then as soon as the Eurostar came in, even though they didn't offer a chaperone service for children, my dad was like, I'm not going to the fucking airport anymore. My mum was like, but she's 11. And he was like, no, she'll be fine. You put her on the train on one end and I'll get her off on the other. So I used to have to get the Eurostar when I was literally like 11 or 12 because my dad was not willing to travel to Charles de Gaulle Airport. But anyway, (laughs) that's a whole other podcast. Um... Yeah, so travel was just, like, a massive part of my childhood. And, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, like, I wasn't... that We were going to jet-set destinations all the time. Like, a lot of my childhood was going to Cornwall and Wales mm-hmm. before St. Ives became, like, as expensive as, like, Saint-Tropez. <laughs> um, and, and, and then, of course, yeah, going to visit my dad, who, between the ages of, like, 7 and 17, lived... My... Me being 7 and 17, <laughs> lived on and off in Paris. Yeah. So, going there quite a lot. And I mean, I'm assuming that you're you've like your mum has like traveled to for writing, going places, sort of mm. with the intention that I'm going here to write a piece or an article. Mm. And also, when you travel personally, you know, there's so much kind of solo time to reflect. And mm. I'm also assuming that you're writing some stuff then. And mm-hmm. I wonder kind of how it differs. You know, obviously, one is writing with an intention for, you know all these other people to read and then the other I mean apart from the obvious ones where it will be more personal but I'm wondering if you kind of view a place differently when you're traveling for yourself as opposed to for work yeah I mean I had a very brief stint as a travel journalist I actually had a travel blog I don't remember it like back in the day um which was pretty good actually but I and then I kind of like segued that into being a travel journalist briefly but the the thing about travel journalism is like it's terribly paid if you do it freelance i think if i imagine if you're a staff writer at a travel magazine then it's comparable to any other type of journalism but often when you're doing it freelance people are like, well you're going to go on a, on a free trip mm-hmm. and it's like actually watching my mum do travel journalism even though she had an amazing time doing it was uh, I had no illusions about what travel journalism is and it's actually not it's not for everyone people think it's a dream job and it is to some extent but it's also basically when you go on a travel a trip which um, a press office or a hotel or whatever have paid for a tourist board rather sorry you are on an itinerary from the minute you get up to the minute you go to bed you know you're writing you're gathering research and so I just like I did it for a minute but, like, the stress of organising it as a freelancer, the little, you know, you get paid, like, £200 for something that took you, like, three months to arrange. You know, like, it's just not viable. And then also, like, it just isn't... For me, it really took away the experience of travelling. So I quite quickly nipped that in the bud um, and closed down my travel website and stopped doing that. And then... Um, so, yeah, so, like... Actually, I haven't done a huge amount of writing, travel writing for money, but I've done a huge amount of writing while traveling, a huge... And I would say 
traveling and living in different places has been like probably one of the most formative things for like the the way that I think and write and the kind of things that I write about. And what is the experience of traveling for you? What, gen- like generally, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's weird because people think of me as someone who travels constantly, and I don't feel like I do. But that's probably completely delusional. I don't know. Like I feel I, like I've sat with you in London, in Paris. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> know, I'm not trying to be spoiled about it. Like I have traveled a lot, but you know what I did, especially when I like living in LA and New York, is a huge amount of my money and my time in the past seven years has gone between going from those places back to London. Because mm-hmm. I never wanted to like, like even though my mom doesn't live in London anymore, I always have to go back to London. Like London is my base ground. You need to go and like touch base. I have to, like I, ha- I feel very, if I go longer than like, I think the longest I've been without going back to London was maybe 10 months and I felt so off. Well, isn't it, excuse the motorbike riding by. Um, I mean, I, I find that going back sometimes is like a really nice way to see how much you've grown in the interim yeah. you've been like away yeah definitely uh, yeah I mean it, it's quite, I just spent most of the summer in London for various reasons and that was the longest stint I think I've spent there since I left and so in one I mean I think anyone who's ever moved and lived somewhere else will have can relate to this experience I've spoken about it with people who definitely can where you know, half of you feels massively soothed and connected to going back home, wherever that is for you. And there's a part of you that feels like, like it's like a jigsaw piece, like starting into place. And another part of you feels really weird and alienated. And I think especially going back to like my home city and sometimes feeling not, not I'm like, this is not my city. You know, I, I haven't made my career here. You know, I haven't lived here since I was in my early 20s. Like, I don't even feel like I've got a right to claim it in a way because I haven't contributed to it directly. And that's a weird feeling, you know. But ultimately, London is still... It is a weird feeling. I'm quite curious. Something that I've been pondering and thinking a lot about is, is this kind of concept of identity and um and belonging Mm, mm. you know for example i'm half iranian Mm -hmm. but i've never had the chance to go to iran Mm -hmm. my dad left when he was 17 and has never returned and so the you know it's half of who i am yeah but again i feel like in no way can i claim this culture or yeah it's part of my genetics makeup but in terms of really being um, a kind of part of that, you know, and, and, and like you say, claiming it as part of mm. your identity. Because I feel like it, it does. I mean, I, I'm overhearing conversations all the time. Oh, I'm half this, but I, I lived here and I, I grew up there. And it's mm. like this kind of all these places and countries and nations kind of, I mean, it is. I mean, it's usually before what do you do is like, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Or what's your background? Mm-hmm. And, and um and I just wondered, what are your thoughts on that, on this kind of, like... Because, like, like, you're saying, I feel like I can't go back... I can't... You know, I'm not living there. I'm not a mm. part of maybe this society, 
enough to kind of claim it i mean where does where do you feel like you belong or yeah i think that's that's definitely (laughs) a big question one that i've pondered a lot and especially in the last couple of years because you know obviously as you sort of move into the next stage of your life where it's not just like you know young gallivanting and you really start start to whether it's perceived or real you start to feel like you need to have some roots somewhere and I definitely, one of the reasons I was in London for so long this summer was because I was thinking, you know, should I live here again? Like, what am I doing? You know, living in the US, I moved there, I think, with the belief that I would probably just be there forever. I'd always felt at ease in the US and, um, you know, again, was very fortunate I could sort of conceive of a long-term future there and then it changed. <laughs> it No, it didn't change. It had always been the way it is, but I, like a lot of other people, became aware of a side of the US that previously I hadn't been aware of. Um, And that made me reevaluate. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about all this. I I still feel very connected to living in to the US. Like Mm -hmm. I, it's where I spent. I've spent such a formative amount of my life. But I definitely got to a point where I was like, but maybe London is my real home, and maybe London's where I need to be. I mean. There's a lot of cliches you can roll out around this stuff. And I can't comment on it from a racial perspective because I do know that a lot of people who have mixed race heritage, you know, grapple with identity stuff in a way that I personally don't have an experience of. But as you say, I definitely have had endless existential, like, dilemmas around where I belong, where I fit. I don't feel of London anymore. I don't really feel like I fit in the US. I, you know, I, like... I find it quite easy to connect to a place because when I travel, I'm always looking for, like, the beauty and the humanity and I'm not someone who's, like... I find it really weird when people go to places and, like, just bitching about everything. I don't relate to that. Mm -hmm. But then I just don't think travel... I think travel's, like, a mindset and I just don't think everyone is, like, attuned to it Mm -hmm. as a mindset. Mm -hmm. That said, of course, trying to make your home in places, like, really makes you question what it is you need in your life what you want out of your life and I'm sure you relate to this but like living really far away from any semblance of kind of original home is can be really disorienting and and but at the same time I also find very empowering like I saw I read a, saw a really good quote yesterday on the niche Instagram niche niche I don't know how we pronounce it but anyway always posting interesting quotes from interesting people and the name of whoever I'm quoting has lost me but <laughs> the basically the intention was that your roots are actually inside mm. of you mm-hmm. so kind of that sort of wherever you go you are able to kind of find that that grounding and that stability mm. yeah I mean I think that's when I've had like wobbly moments in the places that I've lived or travelled, and also I've done all of this on my own, which is quite, and you relate to that, because you've travelled mm-hmm. an immense amount on your own, like, I think sometimes people look at this and they forget that I'm on my own, and, like, <laughs> you're on your own, and people are like, oh, how glamorous and fab, and it's like, it is, but, you know, a lot of people's experience of travel is that they go with their partner or they go with their family, and, and like, travelling independently, as you say, has probably been one of the most confidence-building things I've done in my life, but it's 100%. also been... Like, I've had some dark nights of the soul, you know? Like, when you're on your own, like, a million miles from wherever the fuck you feel... like, crying into, like, hysterically sobbing into a pillow in Paris for a couple of weeks. After I was told everyone, I'm moving to Paris, and this big, very glamorous kind of, like, I'm off, au revoir. 
few weeks <laughs> later, oh, just like ah. mad. Nope, <laughs> but <you're> wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've lost my train. Oh yeah, back to that quote. I think I saw that on your Instagram actually, and I was like, hmm, yes, relatable. <laughs> I think what I've, as a kind of like, I've learned how to do self therapy actually because I've had to, you know, mm-hmm. like. First of all, I haven't been able to afford therapy in the US, and second of all, there's been too many moments where I've had to talk myself off a ledge without having a comfort mm-hmm. blanket around me. But that's what WW Club too it is this kind of self inquiry, self development, yeah, self growth. So like, talk me through some of your processes of what trying to feel alright. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, let's this help, is let's like, help the people. I think there's there. time for you to go. Home. <laughs> um, you know, I think again, like being pathologically self-challenging and always wanting to push myself you do have to develop a quite a serious skill set I had to do it yesterday I was telling my mum like I've done a lot of calling my mum but I've also like poor woman tried to leave her alone a bit and been like I'm an adult woman I can figure this out one of them is obviously writing Mm -hmm. I you know if I'm feeling are you asking me what I do when I feel freaked out (laughs) yeah wherever you were going I like it well yeah, I think a, a big thing... That self-therapy, had, self-development, self-growth, kind of like how you're... And the flip side of being mm-hmm. a traveller is, again, as much as I would never trade the experience I've had in my life, I always want to tell people, please don't think that, like, just because I've lived in all these glamorous places and done all these things that I haven't felt really freaked out for a lot of it. I really have. Mm-hmm. Like, that's in a way why I did it. But learning to deal with that, I'm better than I used to be. I write a lot. I write out how I feel about things you know and then you can kind of catch yourself on the page or at least that works for me like just ideas I have about things it's quite easy when you've written something out in black and white to see how you could reverse it Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like often traveling like you're getting you you start questioning like what this impulse is that leads you to keep like being in these places and I'm like maybe I should just sit down and what am I doing and I've kind of I can talk myself out of that now. Um, so yeah, writing is is a big one. Calling my mom, of course, um, and then just you know, um, engaging with whatever side it is of where I am that brought me to be there. And you know, I, there's certain places in cities that I always seek out because they make me feel grounded. If I'm lucky enough to be by water, then it's always somewhere by water, but of Mm -hmm. course not all cities have that. Um, Markets, like I always try and go to, I remember when I first moved to LA, like one of the first things I did was went to the Grand Central Market in downtown LA, which is now like, you know, just like hipster food outlets, but then was a little bit more, you know, it was like a little bit more OG. Um, Libraries. I always find library... I mean, libraries are actually often just really beautiful public buildings. But even so, like, I'll go and find a library. Parks, obviously. You know, I think those are the things that can help you to feel connected to where you are. I think it's tempting to seek out, like... Where it's easy to seek out, like, you know, the hipster coffee shop where you can get your, like, almond milk latte or whatever and that... and but. In a way, that sometimes makes me feel more disconnected. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, where am I? Yeah. You know, what is this? (laughs) Whereas if you go to a market, you're Mm -hmm. like, this is where I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, I love markets. Love them. I love them. Let's talk about some of your favorite trips. Some Um, places that really kind of blew your mind. Places where you maybe had some sort of 
breakthrough or transformation or just a real good time? <laughs> I mean, the first time I visited Mexico City was like very formative for me. I'd been trying to go to Mexico City while I was living in LA. And this again was like, I don't know, people weren't so into it as a travel destination at that point. And it was one of the few places I didn't feel I really wanted to go alone, partly because it is, you know, got a reputation for being a bit dicey. And which some of it is totally legitimate. I mean, it can be a very dangerous city, obviously. And partly just because I felt like I wanted to kind of experience it with other people. Um, And then some friends of mine from London were going to Mexico City, so I hopped along with their trip. But I was in the city on my own for two days before they arrived. And, like, just the minute minute I started walking around, I was like, yes. Yes. Um, And, again, I feel like was called to Mexico City to learn something from it you know in in many ways I feel like even though it's obviously very close borders the US and there's a lot of connections between the two cultures like that it 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 feels like the antithesis to me um so that you know Mexico has been somewhere in the certainly in the like last few years of my life has become really important place for me I was lucky enough to go to Lagos well I've been to Lagos twice now um, through my good friend Grace Ladoja, who um, puts on with um, some other people this kind of experience called homecoming, which mm-hmm. is like intended to highlight, um, you know, not only like local Nigerian talent, but also that, that kind of Nigerian diaspora. Mm-hmm. And part of that's a massive concert and like. I was lucky enough to go to that this year and last year and like Lagos is really just a whole different thing yeah. and and really is feels like a very exciting place right now because the music scene there is incredible. Yeah. Um the first time I properly spent time in Jamaica was I went to Jamaica for like twelve days in two thousand and fourteen with Sharma Dean. Mm-hmm. Big up Shams. Big up Sharma. Um, and that was amazing. We went we went through every single parish on the island except for one, and it was intense and crazy and not relaxing at all, <laughs> but it was amazing. Sometimes it's those trips, though. I mean, I remember my first time going to Zihuatanejo on the coast oh, yeah. of Mexico. And I, I think up until that point, I'd never been in... You know, I'd been to kind of the Canary Islands or, you know, like coastal mm-hmm. Europe. Mm. Mediterranean vibe. This is the first time kind of going somewhere, I'm sure Jamaica similar, this kind of tropical but wild, mm. rugged landscape. Mm. And, you know, just every day you're like, I need to be out, I need to be seeing things. And in in a way, by the end of the week, I was like, I'm exhausted. You must have been to like, so you, I feel like you've DJed in so many like Southeast Asian cities and been in those. Most of the cities, that's the thing. But not, I haven't done any of the kind of coasts in oh, Asia, okay. which I would love. You've to. spent quite a lot of time in Asia though, right? Yeah, I've done like, but most of the cities, Hong Kong, I spent a lot of time. I spent a month there. That was like the longest time I spent. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Because that was before I'd been there. I've been to there. Hong Kong for four weeks. But <laughs> it, I feel like a month is a, actually a really good time. I think, I, I'm sure for some people, like, upping and moving and being like, I'm gone is, like, not an option. I understand that. But I think I strongly advise people to try, if they can, to do a month somewhere. Because a month is, like, 
longer it stops feeling like a vacation mm -hmm. and you almost you get a real sense of kind of like mm -hmm. having a bit of a routine and and for me like i hate well, i don't hate that's such a lie but i always want to feel like i'm living wherever i go so mm -hmm. it's like uh, in an ideal scenario i'll have a friend that's there mm. and i'm like where do you get your coffee in the morning like what's your routine and i kind of don't want to hit all these like bay tourist spots mm. i'm like no what does it feel like to be a local here like that's always going to be my driver mm. um, and that's challenging in hong kong because obviously it's so westernized and so expat oriented yeah you have to go I mean, to kowloon yeah exactly i mean so it does feel sometimes a bit um separated kind mm. of like the local culture mm. and then the sort of international mm. um, presence um, and I do I, I much prefer kind of being in places where you feel like no I'm side by side like I don't want to just come in and like take an experience that's you know not even a, a local one I kind mm. of want to integrate into the local community mm. um, a lot more so that's a, a kind of big goal of mine but I do I mean I really recommend spending a month in a place just to well it's like you said when you about you know you are ready to kind of be the next version of yourself and mm. sometimes when you're stuck in your environment where everyone knows they're like that's my person she does that that's mm. who she is and you can't break out of that mold but going somewhere for like a, an extended period of time really lets you try on something else for size like mm. i don't know i always feel like you can you can you know not being fake but you can you can be yeah somebody else you can be something else and try on stuff and i've relished that so much and it, it as you say it's such a privilege and yeah, it's a privilege but also like we are not from privileged backgrounds and i none of what i've done in my life has been facilitated by anyone bankrolling me it's been there's certainly been other elements of privilege at play you know white privilege and da -da -da, many other levels but it wasn't like anyone put the money in my hand and said go you know but there's also on the flip side of that, I think equally relevant is wherever you go, there you are, you know, mm -hmm. and I think once the intoxication of being in a new place is worn off, you know, whatever you were trying to escape, it has a nasty way of hitting you at 2am when you're crying <laughs> and you're like, fuck, where am I going to go? No, like you're, you know, but that's part of it as well. It's like realizing travel as much, as much as it's about being able to, well, for me anyway, has been about making finding a geographical space to sort of move into whatever aspect of my persona I felt I needed to develop next and travel is like personal therapy I suppose as self-development it equally has been a way of like and probably at times cheaper than therapy I mean honestly therapy in New York costs $150 an hour so wow. two hours of therapy is a flight to you know <laughs> at least Miami um, <laughs> um I think it's also been a useful way of me realising, well, okay, this is the shit you've taken with you everywhere. Yeah. You know, you've had this problem here, you've had this problem <laughs> here, you still haven't over, you know. And that's interesting yeah. as what well. That's an interesting... There's another nice quote where I feel like I'm dropping all these quote bombs today. Love a quote. I, lo I know you love a quote. Love that's, a quote. Why <laughs> that's why I'm putting them all out, just to impress. But it was, a, again, the ref whoever said it has lost me, I will Google it, but it's travel so far that you meet yourself. Yeah. And I kind of, yeah, that really echoes what you were just talking about. I mean, I don't know how I would have grown into who I am without traveling. Not saying it's the only way to do it, but it was what made sense for me. It's obviously something that's made sense for you. You know, my friends in London, 
most of whom were also born and raised there, which I think is one of the really special things about London, is like for a global international city, there's a lot of people there who came from there. And not in any, you know, they're all obviously incredible, they've matured massively, but sometimes I do feel like, wow, I can't imagine who I'd be if I hadn't done this. I don't know how I personally would have found a way to evolve. It just felt like I just couldn't fathom any other way that I was going to be able to grow up. But that's obviously not something that's shared by most people. And some people think that it's an immature way to try and, you know, I've had people say to me, like, insinuate that they think that I'm running or that, you know, I've had people say, you need to stay in one place and be sort of critical about the way that I've chosen tra- mm. in my life. I mean, I don't fucking care, but it's, I, I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, travel is like, you know, when does it become just sort of like escapism? And I think especially when you get into your, you know, when you turn 30, unfortunately, culture and society, especially if you're a woman, makes you feel like you do need to sit down in your house and, like, start back cooking your meals. You better fucking... (laughs) Your life better... There was definitely a point last year I was like, oh, my God, I just need to go to London and start, like, going to Sainsbury's and, like, batch cooking my meals and, like... (laughs) Then I'll be a grown-up. And then I was like, I really just... You know, but the the joke of it is that one of the reasons I left London is because when I was 23, I was in... You know, I was living in this flat. I had this job. I had a slow... I owned a slow cooker. I had, like... I mean, I can be very domesticated. I'm not insinuating I haven't cooked over the last (laughs) ten years. I definitely have. But, like... And I just was, like... Fuck. You took one look at the slow cooker. No, I did. Almost literally, I did. Almost literally, I was like, I remember looking around my kitchen one day, I was like, I've got a blender, a food processor, a slow cooker, you know, like silicon trays. I was like, (laughs) I'm 23. What? If I stay in London, what's that going to look like? I was like, fuck. I really did. Yeah. I like freaked myself out by how. Oh, I'm freaked out by like becoming an adult adulting or whatever it is they call it I mean I'm 32 I guess no I'm 32 but like um not trying to add any extra years on there (laughs) just 30 um not that there's any problem with being because I actually feel like the older I get the more I don't know I mean the less fucks you give for sure 100% um but yeah I'm the same I don't think I could ever I think travel for me it it for me has always been an element of escapism, but also well, you're Sagittarius as well, though, no? Yeah, my dad's a Sagittarius. Like it's just I think it's in our blood. It's ingrained. Yeah. It's an ingrained. Maybe not ingrained in Sag. I don't know. Depending on your. Well, I haven't met a Sagittarius yet that doesn't love to take a good trip. So. Yeah. 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 Thus far, but I mean it is. I mean part of it is escapism, but then a huge part of it is excitement. Like I mean, I mean it's just kind living. of living. I mean, uh, I, I just. I mean, I value routine, and I, I, I understand the stability that it gives, and it's very good for healthy habits and stuff like that. <laughs> sounds so hard. <laughs> sounds exciting, but no, for me, it's just like, it really, it's always something to like look forward to. It's always something that's like, I don't know, it just shakes up your world. It reminds you that there's just, for me, reminds me there's so much I don't fucking know. And there's also a hundred ways to have a routine, and like, you know, where the one of the greatest joys of traveling even if you're only somewhere for five days it's like making a mini routine in that place like how nice is it to like you know when you go somewhere and you figure out where people there get their breakfast or what they eat for breakfast or you know 
where you're gonna go on your little morning walk or whatever like that is so thrilling to me and I think I mean I'd like to have children and so I am very conscious of the fact that like there'll come a point where to some extent I'm gonna have to wind this down <laughs> Not, you know, because, like, as much as you can be like, yeah, just throw my kids in the, in the you know, sling and off we go. Like, realistically, children need routine. They need well, stability. You, you get free flights with and the kids And apparently they have to go to school. Yeah, <laughs> so, like something like they that. They fly for free until age two. Oh, so. I know. <laughs> but my mum always says that to me. She's like, you know what? One day you'll look back on being able to do this and be like, that was incredible. And so, you know, until that, that materialises... Stay tripping. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's round off with... What a note to end on. I know, that was really nice, actually. Let's round off with just a couple of, I don't know, travel tips, travel nuggets, pieces of wisdom that you can share. I mean, along what lines? (laughs) General life advice, travel, self-growth, self-inquiry. Hmm. Um... I just wanted you to have the last word. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's not just like totally generic. Um, I think actually, like, this is a weird thing to say, but, or maybe a strange way to put it, but I think like manager expectations. I think a, a lot of times people, I go on trips with sometimes with people and they get so fucking flustered. And I'm like, I think it's because people put so much pressure on travel to be you know holidays to be this perfect thing and it's like why would that ever be the case you know things gonna be annoying there's gonna be language barriers you're gonna get lost and you know that I think you're so much more able to like enjoy and engage with where you are if you're not having this insane expectation of how it should be but I suppose that just goes for life in general right yeah, I like that. Acceptance, not resistance. That's how I'm trying to live. Love it. Yeah. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much My pleasure. for chatting, chatting to us. This is the Tripping Podcast. My name is Yasmin, and until, I guess, till the next time, over and out. Hey. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. Go ahead and subscribe if you did. You can connect with us on Instagram at trippin.world and make sure you check out our website www.trippin.world for more deep dives into culture, creativity and communities from around the globe. My name is Yasmin. Thank you for listening. Stay trippin'.